17th, a queen can't wait. I'ma take flights to Kuwait. And my whole life got to be a long ass break. miscellaneous hour here on bff.fm i am megan it's nice to be with you today uh that first track i played is called graduate uh, by a new duo that i discovered ocean spelled o-s-h-u-n um i forgot exactly how i came across them but they had an article um 
kind of flown around and I checked them out and they're really, really cool. They are not really touring yet, but keep an eye out for them. Um, hit them up on like Spotify and iTunes and stuff. They're really great. I like them a lot. So that was Ocean. Um, I have a couple more songs to play, but today I want to play an episode from my podcast called She Did What? And um, the new episode is about Lucy Parsons, who was an anarchist during the turn of the 20th century from about 1853 to 1945. Um, But it's less about anarchy itself, because obviously we have a skewed um, (laughs) notion of what anarchy is. Um, apart from her just fighting classism like a lot of the women that I cover. So I'm going to try to talk quickly get into it. So the next track I want to play is by Napalm of Hiatus Coyote. And she has a new album coming out. She's playing, I think, on the 24th. And we have uh, a bunch of ladies going to that. So this is Napalm. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening. This is She Did What? A podcast exploring women's history. Thank you for listening and subscribing so you can get the latest story on a woman who beat all of the odds in order to make the world a better place to exist in. My name is Megan, and today I am talking about one of the most badass women we've discussed on the show so far. And I would like to welcome Adele to the show. Hi, Adele. Hi, Megan. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yes. Adele has a master's degree in political science and is my co-host of the other podcast, It Matters, which talks about systemic, social, and political issues and their sensationalized coverage in the mainstream media. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? <laughs> good. Uh, Adele and I went to the river yesterday, so we're nice and sun-tired. Yeah. I don't know how to say that. <laughs> Uh, Lucy Parsons was black, a woman, and working class. Three reasons people people are often excluded from history. These are the words of Carolyn Ashbaugh, who wrote what I believe to be the first biography of Lucy Parsons in the 70s and my main source of information for this episode. However, all of the sources that I uh, took from for this episode are listed in the description section of this episode if you would like to learn more. Keep in mind, these episodes are definitely meant to be a thorough introduction into each woman, and I always challenge and hope to inspire you, the listener, to continue your education on these subjects as a whole, because it all surrounds crushing imperialism and capitalism. Lucy's life spans from her birth in 1853 until 1942 when she was killed in her home during an accidental fire that demolished everything but her personal library, which was then stripped clean by the police and the FBI. Because of this, researching and discussing her husband Albert's political career is necessary in order to get a feel for what Lucy Parsons was up to. Lucy spent her entire life leading the fight for workers' rights and unions by fighting classism. As the Industrial Revolution charged through the second half of the 19th century into the 20th, living conditions grew worse and worse as people started flooding cities to find work. The automation of machinery, as well as the loss of male lives in the world wars, also sparked the gender battles over wages and jobs that continue today. As is the case with many of the women discussed in this podcast, Lucy Parsons was very well known in her time. However, the masking of her history strips us of learning from the struggles that we've been fighting for for over 100 years. I'm not exaggerating when I say we're fighting the same fight. Themes and concepts such as equal pay for equal work come from the area discussed in this episode, as well as the understanding that living wages are not only a political issue, but a human rights issue. Yeah. Yeah. While researching Lucy Parsons, I started big and went to the Encyclopedia of Working People in America. Lucy Parsons is mentioned twice 
and only in relation to her husband. Literally, the only mention of her is as her husband's wife who supported him without any mention of her accomplishments, even though she was alive 50 years after he died. That's crazy. Isn't it insane? Uh, Her accomplishments were overshadowed by her husband's, to say the least. I would also like to take a moment before we begin and reiterate that this episode is extremely relevant to our revolutionary struggle today. If we cannot acknowledge the harm of our capitalistic society, then we will never be able to change it. Democracy can work when done properly, fairly, and morally, but until we all agree on the problem, we cannot find a solution. I hope this episode empowers those who believe that every person in this country deserves a living wage, fair working conditions, and the freedom to work to live, and not just to live, to go to work, collect a paycheck that goes straight to the hands of those on top. This is Lucy Parsons, anarchist, mother, and revolutionary. Not many women are mentioned when it comes to anarchism in America, which is actually kind of insane. Those who are mentioned are often those who are the least oppressed, which are the white men. But as mentioned in other episodes, they are also the ones writing the history books. So there you go. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. like that's why other people aren't mentioned. Uh, President Theodore Roosevelt declared at the end of the 19th century, anarchism is a crime against the whole human race and all mankind should band against anarchists. Lucy Parsons says of anarchy, It became increasingly clear to bold and independent reasoners that while states and governments were theoretically intended to prevent injustice, they had in fact only perpetuated oppression and inequality. The state with its coercive apparatus of law, courts, prisons, and armies came to be seen as the remedy for, but rather the principal cause of social disorder. Lucy Delgather uh, was an African-American Native American and Mexican woman born in 1853. She was born in Texas and was thought to have been born into slavery, um, although it isn't known for sure because this was the time uh, that slaves were set free. However, from early on, Lucy claimed her Mexican and Native American heritage due to the overwhelming racist and discrimination uh, that black people were exposed to. Although the Civil War was won and slaves were freed, A Democratic-led South introduced the 1886 Slave Codes, which we still have remnants of today. In a nutshell, these are just laws and regulations meant to keep black workers in low-paying jobs, as well as segregated from the white communities. Race relations were heated, and many people of color moved north to the bigger cities following this emancipation and then the manipulation of laws. 1870, she meets, falls in love with, and marries Albert Parsons, a white man who once fought in the Confederate Army and and then eventually fought for the rights of black people. Isn't it crazy that this is the guy that was like known for being an advocate? Uh, Albert started adulthood as a Republican and then turned socialist. Uh, He was with Lucy at this point. And eventually realized the falsehood of politics and concerted himself an anti-political revolutionary. In 1872, while Albert was trying to register black people in the South to vote, he was shot in the leg. And following other instances of discrimination for his relationship with Lucy, they themselves made their way to Chicago. By the next year, Albert had a job as printer of the Chicago Times, Relations between workers and the managers during this time was becoming unsettled due to the lack of living wage and the increasing problem of production. In that, workers were not getting properly compensated 
compensated for their rate of production. Only the guys at the top, which leads them to demand more product, and this problem is still seen today. 1887, following the Baltimore, Ohio Railroad strike, it moved to Chicago. The strike moved to Chicago, where Albert ended up addressing about 200,000 people, where he called for nonviolent protests as the best way to gain support and eventually meet their goal of fair wages. Because of the sheer mass of exposure, Albert Parsons became the face of the oppression of the government's unwillingness to put people over capitalism. Although he was considered a socialist at the time, he was already moving towards understanding the corruption of democracy and therefore the government itself. It was around this time that Lucy Parsons was the first to consider herself um, in the relationship an anarchist. 1879. While Albert was editing uh, the publication The Socialist, he was also a member of the Eight-Hour League, a member of the Committee for the Trades Council, and speaking for labor rights. Lucy was just as involved in these movements, and uh, she was also pregnant with her first child, Albert Jr. She also ran and maintained her own dress shop because Albert had been blacklisted at this point due to his involvement um, in these anti-government social movements. So Lucy was not only right there, mm-hmm. not only was she pregnant, but she was also running and maintaining an entire business. She was a busy woman. Yes. She's so cool. Uh, By the end of 1879, same year, when the socialist publication went under, Albert started making his way into politics, bringing the socialist movement into the forefront. Lucy was also speaking out for the rights of workers, but was starting to promote a more militant approach, noticing the intimidation tactics of law enforcement and management. She is said during this time to preach social revolution with more vehemence than her husband. So at this point, not only is she already considering herself an anarchist, but she's already saying, look, if the police are going to draw guns on us, we're going to draw guns on them. Very Black Panther-esque, but like 100 years before. Um, In 1881, when Albert failed to enter the political realm due to fraud in elections and lack of representation, The Parsons called for the direct action in the workplace in the name of strikes, boycotts, union organizing, and general revolutionary activity. This is where her and a woman named Lizzie Swank started to discuss the creation of the International Ladies' Garment Workers' Union, which was officially established about 20 years later by uh, Clara Lemlich. Uh, Lizzie Swank is an interesting woman because she actually worked in sweatshops. So once her and Lucy um, paired up, she had experience in these like really awful working conditions, which is really interesting. Um, At this time, Lulu Parsons, their daughter was born. So they have two kids at this point. In 1883, two years after meeting Lizzie Swank and having Lulu Parsons, um, Lucy and Albert helped found the International Working People's Association. And although it was dismantled by the turn of the century, it was one of the first um, workers' unions that really took in a lot of people and remnants of this organization. And that was international, right? Yes. Because at the time, yeah. Right. It was pretty big that it just went across the borders. Right, because at the end of the day, the- it's one of those things where America is founded against uh, monarchy societies are like authoritarian, but you know, 
1776, so like 100 years later, they're already that, which is nuts. Because then 100 years after that, today, 150 years, unions are at like 6% of what they are following this being, you know. All right. So I'm going to bring Adele in to use her brain. And let's talk about... Um, anarchy in general. So what you're getting from this episode, I'd hope, is that, um, you know, all of these workers were just fighting for, it's really human rights. And you have to kind of label it eventually in anarchy is that name comes from Europe. So in 1885, there, Johann Most writes a book called Revolutionary War Science, How to Make a Bomb. And this, again, is 100 years prior to the anarchist cookbook that comes out. It's the same book. It's just upgraded with new materials. Um, So we thought this would be a good time to bring up what anarchism is, uh, debunking anarchism, or at least how it's portrayed in the media. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we wanted to talk about uh, the myth around anarchism. So, as Megan mentioned, anarchism was extremely popular in labor movements around the world in the late 19th and early 20th century. And it did have an international influence on working class movements. Um, Yeah, it's one of the most misrepresented ideas in in political theory. In one of her speeches in 1886, uh, Lucy Parsons introduces herself and starts touching on the misinterpretation of the anarchist movement um, by confronting people's prejudices. So she says, I'm an anarchist. I suppose you came here, the most of you, to see what a real live anarchist looked like. I suppose some of you expected to see me with a bomb in one hand and a flaming torch in the other, but are disappointed in seeing neither. So yes, she's being she's being very playful here, but by like yeah, she she gently mocks um, popular beliefs around anarchism, but she still raises a very important question. So she continues continues and rhetorically asks, "What do anarchists means when they speak of anarchy?" Webster gave the term two definitions: chaos and a state of being without political rule. We cling to the latter definition. Our enemies hold that we believe only in the former. So here she alludes to the notion that anarchism is indeed a state of being without political rule, but that its opponents will associate and unfairly reduce it to the idea of chaos. Yet anarchism is a philosophy that is much richer than its anti-state ideology. There is a more complex social project to it. Also, I can't help but add that it's not just anti-government, it's anti-corrupted government. It's anti-hierarchy, it's anti-domination, anti-yeah. That if it worked the way it should, nobody would complain because nobody would be poor and disenfranchised. Couldn't help it. (laughs) So the origin of the word anarchy, um, in the word you find the prefix uh, an, which means no, and arkos, which means ruler, all in Greek, so, yeah, the state shouldn't exist as it is now, but it's more importantly the idea that people should um, instead organize their social relation and institutions through voluntary cooperation without the hierarchical power that the states provides now. 
So what characterizes anarchism is not anti-statism so much as anti-authoritarianism. So anarchism could be seen as a democracy without a government, basically, like a direct democracy. Anarchists are against centralized power. They, um, they confront the idea that any man with power will tend to abuse it. So they also support um, dissolving all forms, and that's very important, dissolving all forms of social hierarchy and domination, such as sexism, racism, you know, and today we could extend it to queerphobia, albism, you know, all these kind of um, dynamics of oppression that we have in our society today. Um, yeah, and so the project is restructuring society on a decentralized and horizontalist basis. So I think anarchists, I should say, uh, relies on the social fabric, on cooperation and mutual respect. Wouldn't it be more of a representative democracy? And it is like a direct democracy now? No, because a representative democracy mm -hmm. is the opposite of a direct right. democracy because you elect people to represent you and then they get corrupted because they have that power. You know what I'm saying? So that, that's why it's hard to talk about this in general because it's like, it should work. But right, it doesn't. but it doesn't. No. Yeah, okay. The gap between theory and practice. Right. Uh, this idea of anti-government versus chaos is the most important misconception about Lucy Parsons, as Adele was saying, and the biggest injustice to the fight for anti-capitalism in the name of anarchism. Later, anarchists would begin to fight for women's rights and sexual freedom, as well as violence against those who oppose them. But Lucy Parsons actually believed in the institution of marriage as long as the woman was consenting. Lucy's Parson, Lucy Parsons' fight was not against democracy, but against the capitalist correction, as we were just talking about, of the democracy that had already turned into authoritarian state, uh, with the government siding with big bosses every time. So they're not, yeah, they're very simply just fighting. Well, Lucy Parsons was fighting classism. Yeah, because but this is a form of do domination, just as exactly. sexism and racism, and they—you can't really separate those. Once you right. fight one, you have to fight for the. Well, and that's you know. the inclusiveness of. Um, so, for example, like Florence Kennedy, a past episode, she was going to both Black Lives or Black Lives Matter, uh, <laughs> Black Panthers, and Women's uh, National Organization of Women, because she's like, "Yo, you guys are fighting for the same thing." Mm -hmm. And you're dividing everyone's like attention or energy by not fighting together. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, and ultimately, like if sexism is a class thing too, right. and racism is a class thing too, because right. yeah, yeah, we we oppress these communities and make them poorer right. in a certain way. Yeah. Um, I had a quote from uh, an anarchist, uh, Susan Brown. Uh, that I really liked that I wanted to share. Uh, she says, while the popular understanding of anarchism is of, is of a violent anti-state movement, anarchist is much more subtle and nuanced tradition than simple opposition to govern power. Anarchists oppose the idea that power and domination are necessary for society and instead adv advocate for more cooperative and anti-hierarchical forms of social, political and economic organizations. Which obviously is still what we were talking about before. Yeah. It's like, it's so silly. It's basically anarchism is the opposite of what you've probably been taught. Right. 
So um, Lucy Parsons also wrote The Principles of Anarchism, in which she questions the role of the government that she sees not only as violent and unnecessary, but that she sees as an aggregation that, I quote, retards the progress by ever ready means of silencing the voice of discontent if raised in vigorous protest against the machinations of the scheming few. So she points out that the political party in charge of governing is in total control of the things that shape our lives. And she says, think of it for an instant, that the party in power shall have all authority to dictate the kind of books that shall be used in our schools and universities. Government officials editing, printing and circulating our literature, histories, magazines and press. To say nothing of the thousands and one activities of life that a people engage in in the civilized society. This is how she justifies her transitioning from having a social, like more socialist views to firmly um, aligning with the anarchist philosophy, which she defines as a non-political socialism, basically, <laughs> as she believes um, individual can reach their fullest development on, they cannot, sorry, reach their fullest development under government restrictions. Um, so Parsons, at the end of this um, uh, article, The Principles of Anarchism, she says to the wage class, think clearly and act quickly or you are lost. Strike not for a few cents more an hour because the price of living will be raised faster still, but strike for all you earn. Be content with nothing less. Yeah, I will say that um, I think one of her biggest things was getting people to act on it, not just be moderate and mm-hmm. complicit. Because uh, what you'll see after this big Haymarket riot that we're going to get into right after this, everything I talk about is just kind of explaining how the workers' rights movements like were dismantled by government mm-hmm. because everyone just kind of lost their way. They lost a leader. Same thing that happened in the civil rights. You know, once Martin Luther King Jr. was murdered and they started murdering all the Black Panther leaders, like same thing. They just do everything they can to dismantle it. And it works. Yeah, it works because you have this whole like political um, and capitalist economic system that sort of justifies the source of inequality by implicitly arguing that uh, a millionaire would be smarter or more hardworking or more deserving than the average individual as if labor was the source of wealth. But this is a, a another great farce. Great wealth is not the product of personal efforts, but of the work of others. So, you know, if I want to become a millionaire, I'm not going to be the one working. I'm going to have to make other people work for me and exploit them to become a millionaire. So it is the right of the strongest that triumphs in the monopoly of wealth, um, said Elisée Reclus, another anarchist. And that shows how the capitalist system use um, some of like Darwin-ish you know, law of the strongest to defend injustice and violence. And anarchism is not the law of the jungle in the stateless, chaotic society. And it's very much the contrary of that. It aims to do quite, yeah, the opposite. It all to dissolve the very structure that perpetuates that domination in a system that condones oppression and where the strongest rule. So it really denounces the fact that, no, like, I can't 
emancipate myself by just being a worker and making, you know, what you want to call a fa fair wage, you know. I'm dying to myself inside because when you just said by implicitly arguing that a millionaire is smarter, more hardworking and more deserving than the average individual, that's where we are right now. Yeah, in exactly. our political climate. Yeah. You have all these white men that were given everything as a never had to do anything on their own. And then now they're trying to literally deport men and women that work more hours than these people have ever worked in their life. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. Even more relevant than I thought. <laughs> um, so at this point, Lucy Parsons um, in the media is said to be more dangerous than her husband because of her outspokenness against the poor. So again, she's not choosing one faction to support. She's saying, fuck it all. It's all screwed up. We're all dying in the streets, like literally. All right. So 1886, this is our big event of the episode. The May 1st May Day celebration. Yep. So, brought to you by Onicus. Yeah. So this is the official start of the eight-hour day. And what Adele just mentioned about great wealth um, not being the personal, the product of personal effort, but of the work of others mm -hmm. and uh, what else did you say about how uh just because you work more doesn't mean you're going to get paid for it right that like your big your bosses are going to get paid for the yeah, product yeah. you make the more you work you, yeah exactly. the more they're going to get richer not the more you're going to get right i mean you might but so this is yeah. the main um idea behind the eight hour workday so the eight hour workday says look you're work you're making as much product in eight hours that you should be getting paid 10 hours worth for so on May 3rd in 1886, following the start of the eight-hour workday, police shot into a crowd of strikers at McCormick Harvest Works in Chicago. This was not uncommon during this time, as we mentioned earlier, as law enforcement was getting ordered to silence these workers at every turn, whether it be from mayors and governors that didn't want their cities um, in the papers for this or the big bosses or, you know, any number of people. A meeting was held at the Haymarket Square to discuss the events that unfolded at the McCormick strike and will come to be known as the birthing place of the fight against the government and their unlawful law and order. During this meeting, which uh, was considered a peaceful protest to the point uh, where the mayor at the time noticed the calm nature of the gathering and ordered his officers to stand down, leaving himself for the evening. However, once he was gone... Uh, the captain riled up his officers, kept them there, and eventually a bomb was thrown into the crowd of police. Although Albert wasn't at the Haymarket riot, the Parsons knew very well that he would be arrested and taken as a scapegoat. So Albert fled town and stayed away until Lucy told him to come back for his court date. Seven policemen died? Yes, but... Ironically, it was not from the bomb. It was because of other policemen shooting. So I think only one died from the bomb and six others were just like just died in the the frenzy of right which i shooting. will say is also relevant today there's been several <laughs> have you heard those cases where they think a suspect has a gun but it was their partner Jesus, that no. shot it isn't that insane echoes of the Haymarket fair rang through to milwaukee when they had a similar event of violence where multiple people were killed the May Day on milwaukee actually yielded more casualties but because they were all workers and no, no police, it didn't make headlines, even though two protesters were still jailed for the event. 
Yeah, if you haven't been able to tell during this whole, what did you call it, the trial process, like before they're actually on trial, they just the keep... The investigation. Yeah, like, quote unquote. The grounds on which they arrested them. and Right, so they just keep slamming anarchy um, to try and make the case before they're even there. And this is when Lucy was able to tour for the first time because prior to this, she was giving birth to two children and supporting her family financially by physically and financially, uh, by owning and running a dress shop. While the anarchist members were jailed and Albert was in hiding awaiting his trial, Lucy toured the country visiting campuses, government facilities, and just normal street corners. She spoke of the need to hold capitalists accountable and not allow the tactics of intimidation to defer workers from demanding a living wage and fair working conditions. This tour was also the time to counter what the media was publishing about anarchy and its members, changing the representation that all of the members were violent and promoting chaos. The longer Lucy toured around and spoke to younger people, the more support she got and the more people understood the real fight happening in Chicago. During this time, she was jailed several times for disturbing the peace when she held these meetings and lectures, um, although she was denied permits that anyone else would have gotten at the drop of a hat. Yeah, so in one of her speeches, she actually mentions the, the Haymarket meetings, and she says, I feel sure capitalists wanted a man to throw that bomb at a Haymarket meeting and have the anarchists blamed for it. And here she shows how um, the the movement was was uh, demonized and, pros- and its leader prosecuted um, under the name of anarchy. So even though they, for instance, Albert wasn't here, even though uh, they knew it wasn't any of the people they actually persecuted, they didn't really care. They they just wanted to 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 put on trial anarchy rather than people. But it even gets worse than that because once arrested and prosecuted, they were they weren't even benefiting from their right uh, to a fair trial because they carefully selected a jury or jurors. How do you call them? Um, selected the jury. Yeah, selected a jury. Jurors are of the jury. Right. <laughs> and and asked them if they had um, any sympathy for labor movements. And, of course, if they said yes, they were considered prejudiced and automatic, automatically incapacitated uh, to participate. So, yeah, Lucy Parsons refers to it as a judicial farce. Which still happens this day again. Yeah. Like, even during this exact same time, you know, you'd put a black man on trial for fucking anything, and he would be convicted. Yeah, anything. But then, no. But that's that is like I'm not saying it's worse, but that was very, you know, they made a point to of you know to ask these people, oh, right. do you have any affinity for that movement? Right. Or, you know, and if they said yes, they wouldn't take the risk, you right. know, for them to side with the anarchists. Oof. Uh, so the trial. Uh, the trial held for those accused of inciting violence and throwing a bomb at the Haymarket riot was biased, to say the least. Not only did the mayor go on the stand and discuss how he ordered the policemen to leave and stand back, but it could be proven that Albert himself wasn't even there at the time of the meeting. Um, it became very clear, however, that the individual men were not on trial, as Adele just said, but anarchy itself. Lizzie Swank, their friend, was also arrested on this night. Uh, but she was actually set free because she's a woman, even though Lizzie and Lucy were in the media known to be way more violent than any of the men, which is crazy. 
Her colleagues were sentenced to death, one of them dying from a bomb explosion in the jail before the hanging, which again is insane because he's in a jail and mm-hmm. somehow a bomb gets in there, you know. Um, 1887, on November 11th, Lucy brought her two children to watch Albert be hanged. She was arrested, stripped, and thrown in jail. Authorities, while strip-searching Lucy Parsons on the day of her husband's execution, said the woman is more to be feared than a thousand rioters. This is where her and her children were when their father was being hanged. She vowed to fight for the struggle regardless of any threat, because obviously at this point she didn't care anymore. She's like, you can kill me. I mean, she I'm... devoted her life to the movement anyway. Right. So. And now she's like, you know what? Screw it. <laughs> you know. Newspapers following the executions wrote, Miss Parsons was noted long before the Haymarket massacre as the inseparable companion of her husband in anarchist meetings where she preached the social revolution with even more vehemence than he. I think I already mentioned that quote. So to be honest, this is kind of an example of equal rights being good for men as well. Because at the end of the day... Albert was probably hanged for his wife being more radical than he was. And how is that fair for him, too? Uh, Following the hanging of Anarchy's most famous supporters, many men broke apart and either endorsed the Democratic ticket or went back to the socialist movement, which had declined drastically uh, since the realization of anarchism hit the scene. So as I mentioned from here on out, it's just kind of describing how everyone went their own ways. When anarchist supporters moved on to the Democratic Party, she reminds them, Lucy Parsons, that no politician or supporter of capitalism is innocent. She says, have the Democrats committed no sin? Have the Republicans been guilty of everything? I have seen the Ku Klux in the South myself. I know something about them, and they were every one Democrat. The Negroes of the South are no longer in physical slavery, but the Democrats of the South intend to keep them in economic slavery. In 1888, Lucy goes to London to address the Socialist League of England. When she returns, she immediately notices the stark contrast between the ideas of freedom of speech between England and America. Here, she was arrested and harassed for selling copies of her anarchist writings on the street regardless of the 1889 ruling of Judge Tooley, which says that anarchists have the right to free speech. During this time, the police captain in Chicago, as well as many officers, were starting to be caught in the act, whether it be blackmailing citizens, extorting people for bail money, or other favors. Eventually, the mayor had no choice but to publicly denounce the police department, and as the captain of the police department was being taken away, He loudly yelled, anarchy, in his last attempt of putting blame on anyone else. Isn't that so silly? It's insane. Yeah. Unfortunately, none of this was taken as proof uh, for any of the unjust acts that they had committed, a.k.a. the Haymarket riot, that Milwaukee strike that we were talking about, any of it. She said uh, to any followers to go on voting if they thought it would work, but that they should back up their vote by taking guns to the polls. 1889, at a public meeting, while opponents of anarchy were trying to spread lies, Parsons stood up and made it clear that while she was present, she wouldn't allow these lies and rumors to be announced. She was forcefully removed from the meeting, which, of course, is interesting considering the backlash they got for being thought of as militarized. She's the one being forcefully removed from this public meeting where she's just expressing her opinion. 
Tommy Morgan was furiously against Lucy Parsons in particular, and this meeting followed a debate where they had where Lucy Parsons just embarrassed him, really. Uh, So he had her removed from the meeting, saying her support is certainly not decreasing, but increasing. In mid-October of that year, her daughter Lulu died from a sickness that had been festering for most of her life. Following this tragedy, Parsons went against a former lover um, who had been abusing and threatening her. This led to a court appearance that tried everything to make Parsons look sexually loose, even though she fought for family values, as mentioned earlier. Because there were these younger anarchists such as Emma Goldman coming on the scene who advocated for freedom of sexuality and the end of institutional oppression on women uh, through marriage and other sorts. Speaking of Emma Goldman, she had just arrived in New York during this time. I think she was 18 um, and immediately was encapsulated by stories and readings from Chicago and more specifically Lucy Parsons. I mention this because Emma Goldman is a white woman. I think she's from Russia. And she is one of the only women known for anarchy in general. Um, In 1890, craft unionism was majorly defeated because of the technology introduced to the already industrialized skilled workplace. Automation in the late, late 19th century was already showing signs of demolishing the workforce. 1891. Lucy and Lizzie Holmes are editing Freedom, a revolutionary anarchist communist monthly in which the major labor struggles of 1892 meant revolution was coming. Carnegie Steel Mills in Pennsylvania, silver mines in Coeur d'Alene. Can you read this word? Coeur d'Alene. Coeur d'Alene. <laughs> Idaho Reading and Philadelphia Railroad closures, meaning to say that the biggest um, manufacturing plants were being shut down. Federal troops uh, were sent in to defeat these rebellions of unpaid and undermined workers. The more government had taken the side of the bosses, uh, the more the employer could get away with injunctions against strikers as well as just general violence. Now in 1883, uh, sorry, in 1893, people found themselves with no jobs at all. They turned to socialism and syndic- syndicalism for answers. An interesting side note is that at this point, she was considered more dangerous than Johann Most, who again wrote The Revolutionary Warfare. 1894, Pullman workers went on strike after their organizers had been fired. Um, I wanted to point out that Florence Kennedy's father from a previous episode was in this strike, and this is where she developed her roots of activism in 1894. Also at this point, Eugene Debs is on the scene after reading Lucy's writings about anarchism and her general thoughts about capitalism. She is continuing to speak to workers affected by their boss's greed, as well as preparing to march on Washington and various boycotts. Eugene Debs is another person, a person who's known for workers' rights, even though he came after the climax of uh, Lucy Parsons' fight. Uh, Unfortunately, this was a time for more tragedy for Lucy Parsons, as Albert Parsons Jr. uh, wanted to enter the Spanish War. But of course, Lucy opposed the decision. Lucy felt so strongly about this opposition that she eventually had Albert Jr. checked into a mental hospital, even though conditions were known to be cruel then. And he eventually died of tuberculosis in 1919. So like 20 years after that. I think she was tired of the government taking everyone around her. 
like with the Spanish War, she really didn't want her son being a soldier for a country that didn't respect its people. Nonetheless, though, that was a really shitty way to die for him. In 1901, the United States Steel Corporation became the first billion-dollar industry when J.P. Morgan bought the Carnegie Steel Company. Following the defeat of building workers, the bosses also had complete control of construction in Chicago. So again, reiterating, 1901, the few corporations have a monopoly on all manufacturing at the same time that's becoming um, mechanized and industrialized. Yeah, so they have not only monopoly on manufacturing, but monopoly on wealth. Exactly. That's like the translation. <laughs> right. Uh Continental Congress of Labor in June 1905, Bill Big Haywood called a convention for anarchists, syndicalists, and trade unionists, which included the industrial workers of the world that we mentioned earlier. This was a group that finally included Lucy Parsons' more and most important fight against the hierarchy of the class system and its overall failings on capitalism. During this meeting, she brought up that women should only have to pay a fraction of what the men were paying to be in these groups because they weren't making as much as men to begin with, which is great. 1905, The Liberator, published by the International Workers of the World, um, had a women's issue, published The Principles of Anarchism, which Adele referred to in the beginning, closer to the beginning of this episode. Um, in this publication, she wrote about the dangers of a capitalist society, reminding people that money and not votes is what rules uh, the people. She also commented on women's rights, saying that no woman should have to marry a man in order to obtain shelter, clothing, or food. 1907 to 1908, Lucy Parsons pushed San Francisco's government to acknowledge the Unemployed Committee, which was pressuring the state to begin a public works project. When San Francisco turned their nose at this, 10,000 people marched against them. These marches and strikes on the West Coast proved more and more that this was an issue affecting everyone across the country, let alone across the whole world. 1909, women became militarized in the New York Garmin District, which came right before the 1911 Triangle Shirtwaist Fire, which killed 145 workers. Mostly women died, and mostly because the managers had locked the doors so workers couldn't steal products. Uh, this led to mass protests demanding better working conditions. This was also, uh, we talked about this in a previous episode. This is where workers were really starting to find rights and unions were starting to really be solidified. 1915, the Chicago hunger demonstrations, American Federation of Labor, the Socialist Party, and James Adams's Hull House uh, participated in a huge demonstration scheduled for February 12th after which the government began planning for a decentralization of hunger and the unemployment policy. This was a peaceful protest, which was meant with violence, surprise, from the Chicago police and eventually the arrests of the organizers. They were arrested because although the city denied them a permit to hold the demonstration, they fought for their rights anyways. Lucy later gave an interview from her jail cell that she had actually been fighting these exact same causes 20 years prior. So I think this is one of the first times that Lucy Parsons was like, yeah, this is crazy, but we've been doing this for decades already. Uh, 1920, the Red Revolution came about, which the government coined when they started corralling anarchism, communism, and other organizations into one lump group. It was eating, this is a quote, 
It was eating its way into the homes of American workmen. Its sharp tongues of revolutionary heat were licking Bell, crawling into the sacred corners of American homes, seeking to replace marriage vows with libertine laws, burning up the foundations of society. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is well known that these movements uh, were unsuccessful, the anarchist movements, and making real change because of the capitalism government's silencing of workers and pretty much every marginalized group that stands up for themselves and shows that the majority of the nation isn't having it, or at least are aware that they're being schemed. Once anarchism was wrapped in with communism and especially following the Second World War, it's hard to get anyone to pay attention to anything else but, um, like, pretty much Nazis. <laughs> Parsons also felt as though the anarchist movement had lost steam and would no longer mobilize, therefore not achieve anything. Again, Adele mentioned this earlier with Lucy Parsons' quote about um, pretty much just standing up, that everyone has to stand up and stand together. Uh, she worked with the Coalition for Scottsboro 8 and Angelo Herdin's case, uh, her first race relations fight. Tom Mooney and her continued to fight against fascism of the judicial system. Uh, she also was a part of NAACP at this time. In general, she supported and attended and fought for strikes until her death on March 7th, 1942, when she was killed in her house during a fire. Again, the FBI and Chicago police came in and stole all her library, period, not to mention just her personal papers. Um, ironically, having fought for free speech most of her life, her life's work would be stolen from her by the very institution that worked so hard to silence her. Really heartbreaking wow. ending. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was the story of Lucy Parsons. As you can imagine, there's a ton of information on this. I suggest you check it out because apart from just this woman um, herself, the whole movement is just very important to understand that this has been happening for a very long time. I want to thank Adele for coming on the show today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yes. Um, as usual, I want to thank Azua for the theme music. This episode on Lucy Parsons was written by myself, Megan, and Adele. It was recorded and engineered by me. Thank you for listening to this episode of She Did What? Uh, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for the next uh, word that you will learn about. Bye. Thanks. Bye.
was the new respects uh we are at the end of our show here thank you for listening to megan's miscellaneous music hour uh, tonight is-